Would you bow with me as we pray? God, we thank you that we can proclaim this morning, for us to live is you, Christ, but to die is gain. That death is now a gift because you walked out of the grave. God, you conquered death. You conquered fear. You conquered sin. You conquered uh, the, the the chains of bondage many live in, and we thank you that your death and resurrection are a declaration of our lives, that, uh, that Lord, we can now live fully, and that even in death, there is life. Uh, God, we pray this morning, as, as Paul proclaimed in 1 Corinthians 2.2, that we would know nothing more than you and you crucified. God, may your word be alive to us through your spirit, and may we be challenged, equipped, changed, and ready to go live what you've called us to live. So do your work, Lord, in, this, in, in our midst. Do your work in our hearts. All for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would take your Bibles out with me and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and you can put your finger in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at two passages this morning. We're actually going to be jumping around a little bit. Genesis chapter 12 and Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one of the seat back in front of you. If you turn with us to page number 8 and then flip on over to page number 973, we're going to look at both of these passages together this morning. You know, one of the questions that I get quite often, especially as I go different places and speak, is, is people ask, Dave, how did, you, how did you feel called into vocational ministry? Uh, what made you want to be a pastor? And uh, I always tell this story. It actually began back when I was in high school. I was entering my senior year and I had the privilege to go on my first mission trip. My very first mission trip out of the country was a trip to South Africa. I was the only youth going on this trip with a group of adults, and I was invited by my youth pastor to join him on this trip. And I had never been on a plane before. And the first flight I ever took on a plane was 18 hours, heading to South Africa. Can you imagine that? But I was so enthralled with being on a plane that it actually went very, very quickly. Uh, I was just amazed at this big body up in the air, uh, and uh, it was a pretty cool experience. But I got to South Africa, and we went out into this area they call the bush country. It's out in the middle of nowhere, and we had met people that had not yet heard the name of Jesus. There were missionaries who were at work there, and they were beginning to start building a church. They wanted to show the people what a church is and begin to proclaim the gospel message to them. And so we were there to kind of lay the groundwork, to do some evangelism, to be able to share with people, to do some humanitarian things, just to show the love of Jesus Christ. And I remember the last night I was there. I've been so overwhelmed the entire week. Uh, my mind was racing every night about this reality that there were people that had not yet heard the name of Jesus. And I was sitting on this boulder that was kind of overlooking our camp. We had this camp, tents, and, and uh, campers. And I was up on this boulder, and uh, of course, the southern hemisphere sky is much different than the sky that we see. And because there were no cities around, I mean, it was intense. You could see shooting stars every two seconds. It was amazing, an image in my mind that I would never forget. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about how great and awesome God is and how great and awesome God has been to me. And yet, then I was overwhelmed with the fact that there were people right around me that had no clue who Jesus was. And I remember there on that boulder, on that rock, I actually thought, God, why would you bless me so much? Why would you bless me to be able to be raised in a home that proclaimed you? Why would you bless me to allow me to be in a country where churches are abundant? Why would you bless me to be able to know the truth? And yet here are people that have no clue of the truth. And in that moment, it was as if God spoke to me, not audibly, but it was as if God said to me, so Dave, what are you going to do about it? And it was up on that rock in South Africa, I remember it was like it was yesterday, I said to God, 
God, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm willing to go and do whatever you call me to do. I came back home and began to process that, went into my senior year of high school, and then figured out that I believe God was saying that it was through the local church that we can actually make the greatest impact around the world, that when churches live on mission, impact goes deep and wide, and so that's what led me to be a pastor. I believe by leading a local church, I was able to lead a church that would then make a difference around the world, and you know, as I thought about that reality, we we still today, even in our own neighborhoods, Even around the world today, there is much brokenness. There are many people living in the consequences and the weight of their sin. Uh, By the way, we go back to Genesis, we see very quickly that, that life goes awry, doesn't it? I mean, in Genesis, right from the very beginning, God creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them everything. He blesses them greatly. He says, you can be fruitful and multiply. Everything is yours. I'm asking you not to eat one tree. Millions of trees are yours, but just don't eat one as a representation of obedience, a representation of faith, a representation of the fact that you worship me. And what do they do? They eat of that one tree, and the fall happens. We find very quickly the consequence of that sin. We then see the overwhelming sense of that consequence as, it, as, as it's lived out in the wickedness over and over again. In fact, very quickly, we come to Genesis chapter 6. And remember Genesis 6 is probably one of the stories that, whether you have a Bible background or not, you've heard the story. In Genesis 6, God comes to judge the people. But he comes to one man, Noah, and says, Noah, I'm, I'm going to save you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you, and I'm going to allow you to be the start of of a new world. And so God brings a global flood. Because the world was so wicked, God comes and judges. He doesn't redo everything. He comes and judges the world with a flood. Now you would think that after the flood, as as Noah's children began to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren, you would think that after Genesis 6, everybody would say, we need to worship God. I mean, this God sent a global flood. We better pay attention to him. But what's interesting is the text tells us, Scripture tells us, that nearly, just a little over 100 years later, we find ourselves in another situation. A little over 100 years later, the people gather together, and this time they attempt to build a tower. You probably have heard of this as the Tower of Babel. It was in the plains of Shinar, what is present-day Iraq. And they begin to build this tower to heaven. And Genesis 11 tells us why. It says this in Genesis 11:4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Do you, do you notice kind of the... The gravitas by which they say this. That we may make a name for ourselves so we're not dispersed on the earth. That we stay together unified in purpose. We find very quickly self-exaltation. Nothing wrong with wanting security. Nothing wrong with wanting to do things right. Nothing wrong with wanting to be a part of a belonging or greatness. Nothing wrong with even wanting a name for yourself. But notice the focus of it is self. Self-exaltation, self-righteousness, self-security, self-satisfaction, all of these things now get a warped form when we try to look for them in ourselves. This is a story of self-exaltation. And by the way, can I tell you just a little side note? Today, we still have people that are building towers for themselves. 
No, not physical, literal towers, but towers that are looking for self-exaltation, self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction, whether it's in a relationship, or it's in a job, or it's in money, or, or it's even, it can be even in the church where we're looking for something to, to self-exalt, to make ourselves feel better, to bring, us, uh, to bring us what we think life should be like. It's self-exaltation, and we look for this always. We look for this in money, we look for this in success, we look at, for, at this in our retirement plans, we look for this idea of a tower that's going to bring us status and worth. We still yearn for that, and so we build towers that are different, but we still build towers of self, don't we? And it's in that context, it's in the context of the Tower of Babel where God confuses the language and disperses the people that we find this story about a man named Abraham. Take a look with me at Genesis chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 1. Genesis 11 happens, the Tower of Babel, and now we find in chapter 12 that the Lord is at work. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, he's not yet Abraham, he's not yet the father of, of a nation, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be, be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. First thing we see here is that God responds, and what we find is that God initiates his redemptive plan. God initiates his redemptive plan. Notice the contrast between the verses that we read in Genesis 11 and now the promises that God makes to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 11, it's that we will build this tower so that we may make a great name for ourselves. And God comes and says, I will make a great name for you. He comes to Abram and he gives him a promise. God initiates his redemptive plan. We don't, we don't, cause a redemptive plan we don't earn a redemptive plan god initiates the redemptive plan even in our wickedness and here we see that god not only announces his involvement in this he also provides for abraham by saying i will do this notice how often by the way the word i shows up in this text it's eye-opening uh pun intended there eye-opening uh, that I will show you, I'll, I'll give you a, a land that I'm going to show you, I'll make you, you a great nation. So he says, I'm going to give you children, I'm going to have you have a nation that's going to come from you. I'm going to give you a land that will be yours, it will be your people. I will make your name great. And then he says, all the families in the earth will be blessed because of you. This promise that I'm making will extend from you to many other people. What we find here very quickly is the blessing of redemption the blessing of a relationship with God comes through reception, not through achievement. We receive, we don't achieve our redemption. See, in Genesis 11, it was, let's build a tower. In Genesis 12, God says, I'm gonna make of you a great name. I'm gonna come and bless you. I'm gonna give you a land, I'm gonna give you a nation. I'm gonna bless every family of the earth through you. I'm going to bless you, blessing in faith is not achieved, it's received. But it doesn't stop there. I want you to notice verse two. This, this verse stood out to me. I, I never really saw it in the light that I did as I was studying for this. It says in verse two, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do you notice that? so that you will be blessing. In fact, th that phrase there is actually an imperative, it's a command. 
And what God is saying is, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to have you give you children. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless every family of the earth. But you're going to be a blessing. You, and literally here, if we were to translate this woodenly and literally, it would be, you bless. You now bless. Because I'm giving you this promise, because I'm blessing you with my presence and promise, now you go and you bless others. And as you bless others, I am going to draw the families of the earth. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of this promise that I'm making with you. What we find very quickly is that a blessing received should be a blessing shared. Blessings that we receive from God in redemption should be blessings now that get shared. Notice the pattern. God says, I'm going to bless you. It's going to be my work. I'm initiating it. But if you understand what I've done for you, you're going to respond by blessing. That blessing is going to be shared so that the families of the earth are blessed by me through you. By the way, this, this idea is repeated over and over again. It's repeated to Isaac, the son of Abraham, the promised son. God comes to Isaac and says, through you, just as I promised my father's Abraham, your father Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to bless the world. We find Jacob, when Jacob is wrestling with God, God comes and he reminds them of this covenant that he makes with Abraham. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. And he makes this promise again and again, reminding the people. Now the question is, where does this go? God made this promise, but where does that promise go? Well, I want to fast forward all the way to the end of the story. We, we go to the book of Revelation, and we find this expression of God's promise. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says this. It says, and they sang a new song. This is a question of who's worthy to open the scroll. And, and John writes, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. So they're talking about Jesus. From every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. It says, Jesus, you were slain to reach every tribe, every people, every language, every nation. Revelation 7, here are the, the martyrs during the tribulation period, this, this devastating period, and there are people that will die, though many. And it says this about them. L listen to this description. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. We go to Revelation, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Notice the blessing of Abraham will be fulfilled one day. The peoples of the earth will be blessed. The question is, how do we know that? I mean, we see it written in the scripture, but... You look around the world and you think, it does not look like the families of the earth are being blessed right now. There's chaos and confusion and there's difficulty and, and there's, there's faults and sin and wickedness that abounds. How in the world is this going to come about? Like, how is God going to do this? Uh, by the way, I just read an article. It was in, uh, online, Bloomberg. And they did a, did a study back in, in the month of May of this year. And they, the, the title of the the article really stuck out to me. It was a, an article that, uh, the title was, um, Trust is Collapsing. And then the subtitle was, Americans Do Not Believe in Promises. 
And I thought it was pretty eye-opening. It would be an interesting article for, for you to go back and read, uh, Bloomberg Online. And, and it was an inter- inter- interesting article about how we as Americans don't believe promises anymore. We certainly don't believe promises by government, right? You see that in our world. We don't believe promises about marriage. Now, this is statistics went and sh- showed in the article that most people don't even believe that their spouse will really be faithful to them, most Americans. We, we don't believe the promises made by our boss or, or by our company. We don't believe the promises made by a car salesman who's selling us a car. Right? We don't believe promises about anything. And the article said we, are, we have trust that is waning in our world today. By the way, if you sell cars, that doesn't mean we shouldn't trust you. Or if you work for government, it doesn't mean we shouldn't trust you. If you come to Crossroads, we're going to trust you. Um, but the, the fact of it is, uh, most Americans say they no longer believe promises matter. So, so we read this, and we see the end result, and instinctually we would say, well, how is God going to do this? It doesn't seem like it's happening. Is God really keeping his promises? I want to tell you something. Look at this. If you don't get anything else, get this. We have a more sure confirmation of the promises to Abraham than Abraham himself had. Let me explain. Now, I remember a few a couple years ago, uh, a couple of the pastors here and myself decided to go to the Ohio State Buckeye Maryland Terrapin basketball game. And it was here in Ohio State, and uh, it was Pastors Jesse, Pastor Doug, Pastor Mike, our generation's pastor. And so we decided to go to the game, and I mean, we were bantering back and forth. And thankfully, Maryland's pretty good at basketball. We are not very good at football, and so I'll root for Ohio State in football, and then basketball comes, and I'm all in, Terps all the way. Uh, this year, we're going to be a top 10 team, just letting you know. And... Uh, and just putting that in there. Um, so we decided to go to the game. So J- Pastor Jesse, our, our uh, city center campus pastor, next steps pastor, he, he orders the tickets. And, uh, and then we head down to Columbus to pick them up before the game. And so we head down and we, we have grab dinner together and we get down there. And uh, we end up in this area of Columbus I'd never been to. I mean, it looked like it was uh, not a very safe place. And then we stopped by and there's like this alley and there's this little office that had a light on that said, you know, come on in. And I'm like, is this really where we're picking up these tickets? And so Jesse goes, hey, you guys just stay in the car. I'll go get them. No worries. And so he goes in with our, our cash, and he's going to buy the tickets and get them. And he'd already kind of held them. And so uh, we're driving there. I'm looking around. I'm like, this, this isn't a safe spot. Jesse's in there for about two minutes and three minutes, and five minutes pass by. And we start talking like, did he get jumped? Like, is this, is this going to be the way this all ends? And, and I remember looking at the guys and go, guys, we are not going down without a fight. Like, if they come at us, we're going to take them. They can take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. About 10 minutes later, Jesse comes out with the tickets. Now, I got to tell you, he gives us each our tickets, and I look at him like, I don't think these are real. I think these are all fake. You ever have that happen where you get a ticket and you wonder, is it going to work? And so we get to the arena, Value City Arena, and we're walking in, and we get up to the place where they scan your ticket. Now, I got to be honest, my heart was racing a little bit. I think the rest of us was racing a little bit. Um, and, and we got up there, and, and they hit that scanner, and my, my thought was, the red, that, that red little dot that comes up, it goes to green when the ticket's accepted. I thought, it's going to stay red. This is going to be embarrassing. And they, they beep that ticket. It goes green, and they go, welcome to Ohio State Buckeye basketball. As I enter the gates, I will look back just to make sure my ticket wasn't the only one that was real, which I thought would have been hilarious. And there was a part of me that thinks this story would have been better if those tickets were fake, and I could be telling the story. But they were real. Now, here's my point. Here's my point. We live in a world that doesn't believe in promises. We don't know who to trust. 
So God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your nation great. I'm going to bless the families of the earth through you. We come to the end of the story, and it says, every tribe, tongue, and nation. For you and I, we have a greater confirmation of that promise in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ, for you and I, gives us the confirmation as well as the entry point into the promises of God to Abraham. Jesus, God who came in the flesh, by the way, came through the line of Abraham, through the nation of Israel. All the promises of God to to Abraham come true in Jesus Christ. He comes and lives sinlessly. He goes to the cross and dies sacrificially. He rises again victoriously. He sends into heaven in finality to say, here is the way that Abraham's promise will be fulfilled through me. Jesus becomes the answer. Jesus is the confirmation. He is the ticket that guarantees every tribe, tongue, and nation will indeed be blessed. But how does he do that? He he does that by the work of his promise in our lives. Flip over to Galatians chapter 3. We see the effect of this promise to the church, to believers in Galatians chapter 3. Now, as you turn there, let me explain what's going on. Paul is writing to the Galatians, and the Galatians were facing some difficult things. It's probably one of the most aggressive letters that Paul writes, not about the church, Corinthians would be that. This is about the the enemy of the church. There was a group of people called the Judaizers, and the Judaizers were religious leaders, and they were teaching people this. They were saying, okay, you can have Jesus, and they were coming to Galatia, and the Galatians were Gentiles. And so they were coming to them, and they were saying, listen, you can have Jesus, but then you need to become a Jew. You can have Jesus, but now you gotta be circumcised. You can have Jesus, but now you gotta obey the law. You can have Jesus, but you gotta do these things as well. Like, you can have Christ, but you better have this as, as also. You better add this to your life. By the way, it, it, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus alone, right? We see that. And that is Paul's argument. Paul comes and says, wait a minute here. You, you, don't, have, you don't have to become a Jew. And he begins to describe the purpose of the law. It wasn't to build a religion. And so Paul comes and he says in this letter, there's only one way that we're justified, and it is by faith. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not by building a tower of religion. It's not by our great resume. It's not by doing good works. It's not by accomplishing purpose, right? We come by faith alone. We are declared right, not by our efforts, not by building our towers, but by Jesus alone by trusting in what Jesus conquered. And then Paul uses an illustration. Notice chapter three, verse seven, it says this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, he says, Those who are faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He says, the illustration is to prove that faith has always been the call of God. It's always been that we have been blessed by the promise of God as we respond to faith in God. It's always been the promise. It's always been faith. It's never been effort. It's always been. Abraham is proof of that. The answer has always been the same. Faith, cover to cover. There's always one way. The scripture always points away. There wasn't a different way in the Old Testament and a different way in the New Testament. It's always been faith in Christ. For the Old Testament, it's looking forward to the Messiah. For us, it's looking back to the one that came. Now, he goes one step further in the argument. Galatians 3, take a look at verse 28. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, 
neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for all are one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. He says, we're now heirs of that promise. There, there's neither male nor female. There's not Jew or Greek. Now, what is he saying here? We, we sit here. Does that mean we're not male and female? Does that mean there's nothing about us? No, no, no. We're different. He's, his point is that we all come to pro- the promise the same. And it's faith. doesn't matter who you are. In, in the end, all of us come to Christ in the same way. It's by faith. And so what he's saying? He's saying we are now heirs According to that promise, we are heirs of Abraham promise, Abraham's promise. The, the covenant God made with Abraham in promise now becomes ours by faith. Just as Abraham de- demonstrated faith, that faith now impacts our lives and makes a difference in our lives. We now reflect that promise. We are heirs. We have the heart of a son as we look to the Father. We, we begin to try to live our life in glory to the Father. By the way, the other day I, was, uh, I went to my son's golf match. He plays for Lexington and uh, we were there at the golf match, and I hadn't yet met some of the parents, and so uh, during one of the holes, I went up and uh, introduced myself to one of the parents, and, and they said, without me introducing myself, they said, you must be Isaac's dad. And I was like, yes, I am. I was like, how'd you know that? They were like, as soon as we saw your face, we knew that he was your son. I told my son that later on, and he was like, seriously, dad, that is not encouraging. That is not encouraging. But there's a truth to that, right? It's now all of a sudden, I'm an heir of the promise. I have a heart of a son, a heart of a daughter. I belong to a father. And now I want to live my life in reflection of the father's promise. And that leads to this kind of last point. We're an heir of the according to the promise. And so we are blessed to become a blessing. That, that's the whole point of this. We, we are blessed to become a blessing. A blessing received is a blessing shared. Remember Abraham? It wasn't just in all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. He says... You bless. If we get who we are in Christ, we're not justified by our towers, our works. We're not justified by the good things that we do. We're heirs of a promise that God has made to us in the person of Christ. Then what happens? If I get that I've been blessed that much, I can't help but to then bless others. I can't help but to stand in the gap between the past promises of God and the future presentation of the kingdom of God. Right, Abraham had a promise Christ fulfilled that promise. I'm now into that promise as an heir, and one day every tribe, tongue, and nation will know. And I stand in the gap. I stand in the gap of that that history to say, how will they know? Because I need to be a blessing. I need to have the blessing of the proclamation of the gospel, the presentation of the gospel and the way that I live, and the partnership of the gospel with others who are doing it well. That's how we do it. We, we live out the promise by faith. We live out the blessing of God. How? By proclaiming the good news to people that need to hear it. By presenting the good news in the way that I live, that I live differently in my workplace, in my family, in my neighborhood. I live differently. I reflect the Father differently. And then by partnering with people that are doing this work around the world. By the way, this pattern is seen all through the scriptures. This idea of being blessed, to be a blessing, it's not just a slogan. It's everywhere. Uh, we become a blessing to the people who have not yet heard, they're making a tower for themselves, not knowing they don't need the tower, they need Christ. I think of Psalm 67, here it is, it says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, he says, Paul's, think about that. Has God blessed you? Has, has God made his face to shine upon you? He says that your way may be known on the earth, 
your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. He says, has God made his face to shine upon you so that all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I love that description that the Lord makes his face to shine upon us. In the ancient Near East, a, a king would give his opinion about something through facial expression. Many scholars would say in the, in the ancient Near East, they actually had a position where the job of this person was to look at the expressions of the king to, to stop whatever's happening or to continue whatever's happening. So if they were having a party, they would want to know whether the king liked the party or not. And so there would be a, a person who had a job that would look in the face of the king and say, are you pleased or not? By the way, isn't that true? Facial expressions really do direct how we feel, what we're experiencing, our pleasure and displeasure. And so for a king, it was, it was a look at their face to see whether they're pleased or not. So here's the, the psalmist, and he says, make your face shine upon us. Be pleased, be honored by us. And then it says, so that the nations of the earth will know you. The nations of the earth will know of your saving power. Let me ask you, has God blessed you as an heir of the promise? Has that God blessed you with the promise made to Abraham that now has infiltrated your life through Jesus Christ? If so, then you've been blessed, so the nations will be blessed. I've been blessed, so the nations will be blessed. We, we live in the greatest country on the planet. It still is. We have freedoms like no other. We have resources abundant. We have, we have opportunity that abounds. People yearn for what we have in our country, and yet around the world there is still devastating poverty, and there is still Christian persecution that we don't even know or understand about that people are enduring. It's a rising trend in the world, Christian persecution. Our country, our churches, our families have been blessed in order to be a blessing to the world through the gospel proclamation, to live, to present, to proclaim, to partner with the gospel as we use every resource we can to make sure that the ends of the earth know the beauty of the promise of God. I love how Paul described this in 1 Thessalonians. His appeal is so beautiful here. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, notice he says, we're not just sharing with you the gospel, that's one, yes, definitely the important part, but we're also sharing ourselves we're not just blessing you with proclamation, we're, we're presenting ourselves to you because you have become very dear to us. Here at Crossroads, we every year take a moment to try to be a blessing around the world. You know, we have some great partners around the world. Those partners are gospel-proclaiming entities. They are doing a work, not just in humanitarian aid, which is important because it bridges the gospel, but in impact with the gospel. And we take those partnerships seriously, and once a year we pause and we reflect on who we are as a people, a promised people, heirs to the promise, called to be a blessing for the gospel's sake. We pause and we say, can we, one weekend, take a moment and bless our partners around the world? And so, this is an opportunity for us to give, to actually give. And I want to tell you what we're going to be giving toward. We're going to be giving toward transportation needs. As we looked at all of our partners, we said one of the greatest needs they have is transportation. I mean, they are going to places that you can't imagine to share the gospel, to encourage leaders, to, to build churches. 
to help orphans know what life is about. And so we want to we provide for them this opportunity so they can go forward. Our partners can go forward in the proclamation of the gospel, the presentation of the gospel. You and I might not be able to proclaim and present there, but they certainly can do that. And so we want to give toward that. I want to share with you what we're giving toward. First of all, our partners in Asia's Hope. Asia's Hope is our longest standing partnership here at Crossroads. If you remember years ago, if you've been here, uh, years ago, we were part of Asia's Hope, and we, we built two orphanages. These, not really orphanages, they're homes, but it's rescuing orphans who, many of them were running on the streets, many of them were sold into slavery, and they've been rescued and given a family. They've been given a family. They have a mom and dad now, and we have two homes there that we support and those kids that we sponsor. Uh, because of our long-standing uh, relationship, many of those students are now entering college. And one of the goals of Asia's Hope is to be able to launch these students as world changers in Cambodia. To be actual world changers, to be lawyers, to be doctors, to be politicians, to change the country from the inside out. And so one of the needs that our college students have, there are 89 of them, they need motos, scooters. Now when I say motos, I'm not talking about Harley-Davidson's. I'm talking about little scooters that they will put five people on, and they will go to college. And, and, and the provision would be that those college students can go and get their education. They who know the gospel, these are students who have been raised in the faith now. They've been rescued, and we want you to be a part of that. Secondly, it's our partnership in Guatemala. Uh, we partner with Mission Impact, and they have five different ministries they do. By the way, Asia's Hope, we, we want to give $10,000 to Asia's Hope to meet the need of the motos. For Guatemala, we want to give $15,000 to meet a need for a ministry truck. Now, when you and I think of truck, we think of getting a truck because it's rugged and it's cool. Uh, probably very few of us are climbing mountains in our trucks, but we look cool. By the way, I met somebody the other day, they actually had spray painted mud on their truck just to make it look more rugged. They're actually using beat up cars, beat up trucks to go in the highways and byways. We have partnerships in Santa Maria where the coffee farmers live with the school there, Proximos Pasos, and then out to a village called Coyolate. There are many different partnerships and ministries that they have to bring water filtration systems so the church is able to give living water and bring physical water as well. And so we want to provide for them a truck. This isn't going to provide all of it, uh, but $15,000 will go a long way to providing a truck that will be able to get out into those foreign areas, those difficult areas, to be able to do ministry. By the way, when we talk about a truck, this truck really acts like a bus. They will pack 50, 60 people in the truck to get where they need to go. And so it is of great importance. I think of our partnership with Global Lead. Uh, Global Lead trains leaders around the world, equips and empowers leaders around the world to be the best church leaders, the best pastors, have the best vision for the cause of the gospel. And uh, one of the things that's difficult about Global Lead is the proximity that those pastors have. And so we want to provide for them $10,000 that will help those leaders and pastors get to the conferences to be able to be trained. For some of them, this is the only education they're going to have. The only ministry education will be what Global Lead provides. And so what we, we want to do is we want to help those leaders be able to have the transportation to get there and for them to be able to, to have those, those pastors come to those conferences. And so we want to provide for them. By the way, it's interesting seeing some of these pictures. They're actually climbing on the base of Mount Everest to get to a village where a pastor is to encourage them, to have a conference for pastors to be able to train them and teach them and encourage them, to remind them of the important task of the promise of God as theirs of the promise, blessed to be a blessing. And then lastly our city center. You know, I've talked to a lot of officials and, and people that are in the know downtown, and one of the biggest needs that comes back over and over and over again is transportation. I had a meeting at Mansfield Senior High School, and they said, you know, we got students who are ready for jobs, but they can't get there. 
they can't get to the jobs. They have no transportation. Their living situation is such that they can't get to their jobs. And so we want to meet that need. And so at the city center, we'd like to provide a vehicle that will be of help to get people to their jobs. There's some rules we put in place. It's not just going to go all over. It's not a taxi service. It's meant to help people in employment. That costs $10,000. It's the number one need that we believe to help people. We want to see our community better. We want to get people jobs. And so we want to help them. By the way, can I tell you, in our city center, it's not an easy ministry. There have been fights, not in the city center, but around it. Uh, there have been messes in the alley. It's not a clean ministry, but can I tell you something? There are some gospel, deep gospel conversations that are happening. There are lives that are being changed, classes that are being taught, laundry and coffee services. It's amazing to see the life changes happening through our city center. So we want to provide a vehicle to help people with their jobs. If you add all of this up, this would total $45,000. What we're asking for is $45,000 to provide for our global ministry, our global ministry partners and here at the city center. Now I know that sounds like a lot, it is a lot. For any of us, that's a lot of money. And we're not asking one person to give it all. By the way, if you are that one person, we'll take that. We're asking every single person to be a part, some way, in some form. If you are an heir of the promise, then the nations of the earth should be blessed by us. And God not only gives us the promise of salvation, but the promise of freedom, the promise of opportunity, the promise of abundance, so that we can present, proclaim, and partner for the sake of the gospel. And so we of all people, we of all people on the planet should hear this and say, man, we, we got this. We got this because we want to see the gospel go forth around the world. $45,000, if you take 1,000 families here at Crossroads, we have over 3,000 people that come to our church that would call this home. Uh, if you take 1,000 families, that's $45 for, per family. Now, there's some of you, $45 is a lot. There are others of you, you're going to go to McDonald's and buy Happy Meals, it's going to be 45 bucks right there. And so we're asking, could you, could you provide that? $45, maybe you can go more. Go more if you can, go less if you can. Here, here's what I would say to you. You can right now open our app. You go to the Crossroads app. I'm able to go to my Crossroads app, open this up, and within literally 30 seconds, I go to give right in the center. I know you can't see this. You get to choose a campus. By the way, guess what? It doesn't matter which campus you choose for this one. You can give to any of them. They're going to go to the same place. But I go to the Park Avenue campus. It then takes me to the push pay. I go down where it says general fund. I hit that, and it tells me that I can give a special missions giving. That's what it's called. You go to the app, you can give, and literally like that, it will be given. And so you can do that right through the app. Uh, an easy way to give, you can give out the car in the center. That car is a representation of transportation. You can drop an envelope or money or cash into that box that's on that car as a representation of our faithfulness. Uh, we can make this difference. Uh, we can make this difference for the gospel's sake. But I want to say this before we end. If you're not giving regularly to Crossroads, if you're not a part of giving, we don't want your tip. See, see this is a moment where many people think, well, I'm going to tip them. I'm going to tip them with, this is a good ministry, I'm going to tip it. No, no, no. If you're not a regular giver, don't, don't give to this. Become a regular giver. You know, one of our core values is that we want to be a church that's, that's, that's committed to glorifying God. And one of the ways we do that is by giving. It's one of the things that we believe is important. God blesses when we give. And so if you're not giving regularly, Join what God is doing here. Join how God is providing here. We, we actually give every month to these partners. These are special needs. And so don't be a tipper, be a tither. Be a part of what God is doing regularly. And then go above and beyond that to say we want to meet this need as we end. Here's how we're going to end here today. We're going to pause. And we're just going to spend some time in silence with a little bit of music. Just praying for our partners. I want you to think about two things in this moment, this quiet moment. How has God blessed you? Spiritually, 
physically, financially? How has God blessed you? And, and then I want you to think about Cambodia, Guatemala. Think, think about the Philippines, Nepal, these areas around the world. Global lead. And then think about our city center and, and ask God, God, what is it that I need to give? What is it that I need to be a part of? So would you bow with me? And we're just going to spend some time in prayer and then we're going to have this song. Ernesto is going to lead us in this song as a reminder of God's faithfulness, God's goodness. He has blessed us. We are heirs of the promise. And blessings received are blessings shared. Would you just spend some time alone with the Lord in prayer?